New People, New Ways, a podcast in partnership with Fresh Expressions Florida and Fresh Expressions United Methodist that explores new ways of being church through the stories and insights of scholars and practitioners alike. I'm Piper Ramsey Sumner, a layperson and cultivator of Fresh Expressions for the Florida Conference. And I'm Michael Adam Beck. I am the director of Fresh Expressions Florida and the director of Fresh Expressions UM. And today we are joined by my friends, Mark and Emma Cotterell, and they work for the Salvation Army, planting spiritual communities and equipping leaders in Manchester, UK and Helsingborg, Sweden. Uh, Emma and Mark founded a network for pioneer leaders called Venture 12. And Mark is a coach consultant with 5Q, a resource for leaders that uses the ministry assessment tool, APEST, Apostles, Prophets, Evangelists, Shepherds, Teachers. And Emma is the partnership director of the Movement Leaders Collective, which overlooks 64 organizations and 550 leaders worldwide that are working to build movements and increase kingdom impact. And I'm one of those people that get to be part of all that beautiful work. Welcome. Yeah. Thank, you. Thank you very much. Great to be with you. Yes, we appreciate you being there. It's it's 3 p.m. our time and it's 9 p.m. your time, if that's right. Yeah, so we appreciate you hanging out with us tonight. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm well spent. Yes, good. So the first questions we like to ask, um, this will be a two-part. I want both of you to answer. So um, I want to know who is Emma and who is Mark? Tell us about yourselves. Um, I guess I would say that I am a woman, I am a leader, I love Jesus, I'm excited about bringing about change in different ways in the world, um, I'm a human rights lawyer, uh, I am exploring movement together with people who um, want to be more movemental or missional. Um, to put it in a different way in the world to bring bring about change um, for the kingdom. I'm a mum and I'm a wife and lots of other things. I love dancing. So do I. <laughs> I'm not as good. <laughs> I'm Mark and I'm a husband. I'm a father of two amazing young boys. I, I love football, which is soccer. I guess in your right. language, right. yeah, just a bit of contextualization there. Thank you, for, thanks for translating. Uh, yeah, why do you call it? Why do you call it football? Anyway, that's a we'll take that another time. Uh, I, uh, that's my possibly my first love. Um, obviously, family, uh, and I am I have been until recently a church leader, local church leader. So fascinated about the um, experience and potential of the local church in communities. Uh, but ultimately, um, uh, more fascinated still at this age with Jesus. So uh, it keeps me on my toes, keeps me learning. And um, yeah. Nice dynamic duo uh, couple here joining us. So. Thank um, you. Yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about your church plant in Sweden and how it influences the way you view kind of mission and ministry. Um, well, for me, I have always had a heart for justice and make sense of my own faith and my own experience of Jesus through sort of activism and engaging with the poor. Um and particularly uh, have a heart for people who have been victims of human trafficking. Um, so that was really at the forefront of my mind coming into the church plant in, in Helsingborg. We'd come from a, a plant in Manchester, and I felt drawn to explore how could we build a missional community where serving that group of marginalized people, which are very much hidden in our communities in, in Sweden, um, primarily so. Um, how could we build that in to um, 
the church plant and to exploring what what mission looks like and raising up perhaps even raising leaders through um, the people who have suffered that type of trauma. Um, so that was my heart going into into planting in in Helsingborg. Um, I mean, yeah, just to, to riff off that, I think from our experience, um, the most interesting forms of church have always had a kind of prophetic dynamic to them. So a real sense of um, listening to the community and the church becoming a, an experience or, or more than just an experience, but a, kind of like a, a contrast community emerging into some kind of contrast community that models something different um and uh to the to the 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 surrounding community so that prophetic kind of aspect to our pioneering and church planting has always been one of the front front wheels so always going in with listening always going in what's lovable about the city what's unlovable where's the brokenness where's the beauty uh and so coming to Helsingborg particularly around the trafficking journey that was one of the the first in the first few months um, it, we were we became very conscious of that reality within within the city of Helsingborg um, and exploring together as part of that kind of listening journey where we can where we can um, partner with other agencies and support initiatives that are already there as well as be an answer to things that are not there and be bridge builders and being part of a solution that's needed. Um, so finding our place in the community as opposed to deciding beforehand, this is what we're going to be and this is who we are, but finding our feet uh, in the local community as outsiders of that community um, by starting to build those relationships. And yeah, that's been an eight year, eight year journey now. And we've, been able to see that grow um uh yeah and just experiencing how how god has you know enabled us to be part of his building work really um mm -hmm. to transform individual lives but also to start to change a city and um in the last couple of years a nation through the learning that we've done here which is really exciting to get to be part of mm -hmm. Yeah, for, for those, um, like, obviously, most of our listeners are going to be on this side of the pond, the U.S. American uh, area over here. Um, help us understand, like, I would say, you know, we're, we're starting to get on, like, the front side of post-Christendom and secularization and all those things. But you all are from our future significantly, like, maybe even decade, mm -hmm. where it's even more averse to any kind of really church or church planting. Mm -hmm. So could you, could you help us understand like maybe some of the differences in your context? Yeah, I think, um, I think they say that Sweden is the second most secularized country in the world. Um, after probably, I can't remember if it's Norway or Denmark first, but it's certainly a very secularized Country used to be a Christian country a couple of generations ago, but we've um, encountered, you know, that that has just changed at a really rapid speed. And we are in the part of the country that is the most secular part of the second most secularized part of the country. So there's really no kind of memory, as it were, living memory of revival or anything like that here. So if you're talking about spiritual atmosphere and kind of familiarity with Christianity. It's really not there. Um, there are some denominations here. Um, I would say primarily it's nominal, nominal Christianity if there is anything. And people struggle. People struggle to, to plant. People who try to plant here will, will really struggle. It's a harsh environment for missional people. Um, I would say that if you would go and share with your doctor that you heard the voice of God, you'd probably be diagnosed with schizophrenia or something like that, because it's just not commonplace to, to talk like that. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, even the memory of 
the Christian faith is slightly offensive to people. So it's probably more politically and socially acceptable to be a Muslim in our country today than it is to be a Christian. Um, people really would struggle with sharing that they are a Christian oftentimes and with having a conversation with somebody who would say that they're a Christian because it would be perceived as very old-fashioned and, um, yeah. I think uh, hmm. a, a practical way of describing it is when we were in England and, for example, if we were running a youth club, the police would sometimes rock up at the door and just see how we were doing. We were kind of interested what was going on in the church. In Sweden, that doesn't happen. There's a disinterest. Uh, and, uh, you know, mm. in many ways, it's almost like the rest of society and the agencies and actors within in, in cities and communities um, disregard the church in terms of it having any kind of potential fruitful contribution to uh, the welfare of the streets and, and the cities. And that's different to the UK. Um, so it, it, that's maybe just a, one way of, another way of describing the, the climate. Mm. But it's also laced with enormous potential. Yeah. There's absolutely no status involved in being a minister or church leader. Mm. Qu it's quite the opposite. <laughs> so this yeah. whole yeah, yeah. fame thing that you've got going on amongst leaders yeah. in the US is very yeah. alien here yeah so if you're mm -hmm. a church leader if someone asks you what you do you're at a party you you, 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 you know, over the years you learn to think of different ways of explaining <laughs> what you do so you don't shut the the conversation down so uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah the, the whole the whole fame thing's pretty alien to jesus too so that, that yeah, yeah. Really yeah yeah but i was i was mm -hmm. wondering on that like um so I'm a student kind of Charles Taylor and his work on the secular age. And he talks about the imminent frame, basically, that in a secularized society, people just dismiss entirely the possibility of a divine actor that can like move and penetrate our reality or that there even is such a thing. So is that part of the massive kind of push to this is like not even uh, uh, kind of thinking that that's a possibility? Or is it that the church has done so much trauma and harm um, and that there's just this legacy of like slavery and homophobia and, you know, patriarchy that that is Sweden, pe Swedish people in general, just kind of over the church because it's just associated with so much negativity. Yeah, I, I think Swedish, it's uh, yeah, I think it's um, a mix of all of that. I mean, it's seen as fundamentally irrational to believe in a divine being. Uh, we're very much kind of science based as a culture these days. So, as evolved humans, it would be expected that you are past the fantasies of a creator god and have now come to understand the reality of whatever other um, scientific evidence is out there. And, yeah, there would not be a sense that you could com combine or uh, engage both, both dialogues um, on that. There is also quite a lot of church trauma, I would say. I mean, Me Too blew up here, just as it did in many parts of the world. Um, that's kind of still living with us, I think, in many, many of the denominations um you have um yeah the the legacy of kind of very religious rules and regulations for like my parents and my grandparents generation that people are still responding against so the church having the kind of legalistic um way of engaging the salvation conversation mm. um and uh um particularly leaning in, because actually the free church had a big role in bringing about change when it came to um, alcoholism in this country uh, in, in a positive way. Um, but people don't necessarily remember that initial part of the story. They remember the aftermath of it turning into a sort of religious rules and regulations and... Um, yeah, restricting people from doing things that appear, you know, that they would enjoy, um, you know, don't go out dancing, don't play the drums, that's the devil's instrument and all of those kind of things. So it's going to be a, a, a mix. 
but fundamentally I think it's the individualism that is the overriding factor I would say um, that we want to be able to believe that we are ourselves in charge of our own destiny and we definitely don't want to be seen as foolish but we Mm. want to be enlightened intellectual beings in this world Mm. it's interesting because i think i definitely think in america one thing even if people are becoming less religious a lot a lot of people are still very spiritual there's that idea of spiritual but not religious so a lot of people just still have an interest in our you know they're okay maybe with the idea of something a spiritual world or something bigger than themselves or believing in God. So that's, that's interesting that, um, that kind of another, a different kind of, I like a more kind of staunch atheism that seems like to be in part of the culture. Um, But something I noticed when you both were talking about your church planting experience, much of what it's rooted in is, Um, justice work and in caring for people not just their souls but for their their lives for their everyday lives and creating um places um yeah of of safety and of care and something you mentioned individualism you're offering the opposite of that you're saying let's live in community together let's be a part of this of a movement together and so that makes me think because you know, the Salvation Army has similar kind of Wesleyan roots with um, the Methodists. And I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene. So there's a lot of the a lot of the Wesleyan kind of things are all are all brewing around us right now. But that was what, you know, the um, the early Methodists, a lot of what they were offering to people were is the the community aspect. It's your well-being. They were visiting people in prison. They were helping people get training and education so that they could care for themselves and care for their families. And so that's what I see you both doing as well. And I think if there was any approach to creating church uh, and doing church and building a movement in um, your context, it feels like that would be the way to do it because um, it's hard to argue against people doing, doing justice work, uh, no matter what your religion is, I would think (laughs) religion or not religion. Well, I mean, there are huge needs in in Sweden. Um, it's a hugely segregated country. We've had huge waves of uh, refugees come in through, you know, 2015, a massive refugee crisis. Um, so there are lots of social issues uh, and there's lots of need. Um, and so, I mean, our experience has always been, and, and how we've also learned on the road is, is that the gospel and good news is always hope embodied. And that's really the only way people really get it. Um, certainly when you've had a Christian tradition, which has spoken a lot uh, and being very, you know, taking positions on certain things, you know, the only kind of gateway into um, making a difference in the city is to, is to, is to stand in solidarity and to, to um, to become part of the community, part of the stories, part of the narrative, to immerse ourselves into the the pains and, and the joys, and and that's really been our experiences out of that where hope emerges and uh, and where the kind of I mean we're a, we describe our church in Helsingborg as a, a community of micro churches or, or missional communities, so so they look very very different, um, but all of them have some aspect of. Uh, firstly being centered on mission um so a real sensitivity to what's going on on in the city and and with a real kind of lean into meeting real needs real um expressed needs within within our city so and that expresses it differently but depending on which micro church or missional community uh it's it's about so so yeah but it's it's been our journey has really been that the church is always an expression of hope embodied Mm-hmm. um and incarnated uh words are really good but flesh we've learned is is harder uh unfortunately mm-hmm. it's really easy to speak i mean i wish i lived out most of the things i preached <laughs> i'd be in a much better place <laughs> and so would the church um but time and time again that's been our lesson that it's you know change really happens with a real deep commitment to giving ourselves away um mm-hmm. rather than drawing to uh and and that always leads to real incarnated impact Mm. good news yeah 
Yeah, and we find as well because we are, which may be helpful to your listeners if they are um, not experiencing the level of secularization that we are living through here, that when you are in a situation where you are you're planting a church and you literally you you have to you're not you're not going to get people coming to join something like what we're doing for the fun of it because uh, like it's hard work to do justice work essentially what you're recruiting from is a pool of people who will be the same people that you're serving so it will be vulnerable people um uh, they're the kind of people that that will join and so um you really do need to do pre-conversion uh, discipleship in order to make make uh, some kind of change in the city if that's what you're passionate about doing. Um, and that's really quite an interesting process and journey to be going through um, and just realizing, I mean, it's a, it's a humbling journey in the sense that we can't come as a community and save anybody. Uh, because the problem's too big, uh, I'm not going to be able to launch into a new campus with, you know, 20 people to to change something. I haven't got the I haven't got the gravitas. I haven't got the people to make a big statement. Uh, I've got a partner, which is humbling in itself. That the church has got to partner with others who are wanting to do good things, which means I'm going to have to compromise. Not on my not on my. Uh, integrity and my basic values but I'm going to have to work with people who are not like me and I'm going to have to do that um, in a way where if I feel that I'm called to lead an initiative like I felt we were called to lead an initiative on anti-trafficking by showing people the way forward in terms of reaching out to a people group that was not being reached um, previously and so you're showing people who actually don't believe in Jesus what it is like to meet the needs of people who are not seen, who don't have a voice, who are hidden away, who are being exploited, and that it is worthwhile to stop that exploitation and to work towards actually that person being able to contribute um, through their life, whether or not they become a Christian. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's a yeah, it's a different kind of building work, I think, than when you have, um, yeah, more resources, more people that you can you can go with. Um, and yeah, it's been a really interesting journey, you know, working with police officers who are very much you know would profess to be atheists, but who are moved by being able to help someone in a very tangible way because somebody's been able to show them how to reach out um, rather than using the normal ways that they would potentially be engaging with that group of people, seeing, you know, there are other ways to communicate and actually get to the point that you're wanting to get to, but also to support this person. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like your, your approach is very much like um, Jesus, right? who started with, you know, going to the synagogue and proclaiming the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, you know, to bind up the brokenhearted, liberate the oppressed, proclaim Jubilee, all those things. And then as he did those things, like a community, these little communities started to spring up around that, that activity, that justice, that, mm. that liberation. Um, and it was usually with the, the throwaways of society, the marginalized and the, the people outside the bounds of religious and you know cultural uh, power, um, and I wonder if we got away with it for a while in Christendom, where we could just kind of prop up buildings and you know have people come to those and start with a service. Um, but now we're in a space where we really have to uh, start where Jesus started, as he and is continuing to do that in the world today too. And the thing, you know, pastors are not necessarily trusted in the United States either. Um, there was just a study that came out that chiropractors are more trusted than clergy in the United oh. States. Wow. <laughs> interesting study to do, but yeah. Well, like, uh, yeah. yeah, who paid for that study? Right? right? Yeah. It's good to know, right? 
Dissociation in the chiropractors. No. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think it's important, isn't it? I mean, we're in, in, with our micro churches, you know, our discipleship is, and I guess that's a that's a conversation that's happening on a new level across the church everywhere. Mm. Um, I think in some places it feels like it can become very. Uh, I mean, this is harsh, but it sometimes sounds like it's like, how do we get better at recruiting people to our brand of religion or or, or church? Mm. Um, and it can become very systematic. Uh, and you know, big, you know, Matthew twenty eight is front and center of, of that. And that, in, in many ways, that's really good. And we're all being called to this conversation and working out what discipleship looks like but if it's disconnected from say like luke 418 mm-hmm. which is like when jesus announces what he's about his, his mission if those two kind of things are disconnected discipleship has ultimately got to be missional and it's got to be in sync with the kind of smell and taste and, and feel of how we know jesus in is revealed in the scriptures so mm-hmm. in all of our micro churches we we make a a big deal. I don't know if that's the right thing to say. That it that it is it is about being present in communities. Discipleship is multi-sensory. It's not just in the classroom or learning a set of doctrines. It's about being released to 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 be as 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 all of us are together. We need each other to encourage each other to be the, the body, to be the presence of Christ in the midst of a real anxious culture. Um segregated culture where there are racial tensions uh and to to kind of say that this is a this is not just our city's problem this is this is this is to do with the church this is to do with our spiritual formation Mm. Um, so we make a big deal of making sure that our discipleship is rooted in in that kind of impulse of uh opening the eyes of the blind and and good news to the poor uh and captives being released um and sometimes we kind of in in some places it just feels like it's, it's disconnected from that. Uh, yeah. It makes a lot of sense for our community as well because the majority of the people that we that are part of our community are people that we've served in different ways in in the past. So we have a very multicultural um, community, um, people from Afghanistan, Iran, Nigeria. Um, what other countries? China, Ethiopia, Ethiopia, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's just all over the all over the shop. And I would say that the majority of people have some kind of refugee slash asylum background, um, and a lot of them have received support with their legal status at one point or another. It's like the standard is uh, photocopying paperwork to the migration board after church on a Sunday. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's so again. can you help me with this letter? Yeah, of course I can mm-hmm. for the thousandth time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, but it, it comes natural. Nat- we, we fostered an environment where those types of people feel welcome, but they're also discipled into supporting others from the beginning. So we try not to make people just service users, but actually to... Um... I was sitting with a, a guy who... <laughs> it was just an off-the-cuff conversation. He's, he's from China. And um, so every he can't speak Swedish, can't speak English, so the conversation's through Google Translate. And he was, mm. he's telling me that, he, so he, he comes to faith. Uh, I don't know when it was, about a year ago, maybe. And he was telling me that um, now their situation is really, really tough. But he was just telling me through Google Translate, they're at our house over Christmas, uh, that he had tried to tell everybody who he grew up, so he's my age, from his class at school about Jesus. So this is in China. He's on some kind of, I don't know, their equivalent of WhatsApp. Uh, and he said that every single one of them, like just many of them just um, ignored him or rejected him. But one person got, got saved through the, his conversation, this girl in his class. And he was showing me this girl who's got this profile on some social media thing. And she's preaching the gospel in some kind of social media platform in China. And I just said, is she not afraid of what might happen? Uh and he's asked her that and she said she doesn't care she just keeps doing it so i mean these these people who come through these journeys of you know mm. real precarious 
journeys. Um, they're, yeah. you know, in many ways, they're so easy to write off uh, and so easy to kind of think we need leaders and all this kind of stuff. We need more pe people who've got it together. And then you just sat at a conversation. This guy's been discipling or trying to, you know, preach the gospel to his class and one person gets saved and now they're just like released. Yeah. Uh, and mm -hmm. there's also another guy from Iran who, a similar story, young guy, um, it's just like, I mean, I don't know why he never told me this, but he, he just he just didn't think to tell me, but that he'd been like discipling some people back in Iran from Sweden, family members. They get saved and they start a house church in Tehran. And uh, it took, yeah. I, I said, why did you tell me that? That's for me, that's like a real big deal. But <laughs> some of these, I don't know. So there all these kind of things happen in our community. Uh, mm -hmm. We're learning that through precarious situations and people who, without the qualifications that we sometimes have, amazing things can, can happen. That's our learning experience. It's, it's really hard to mess it. Uh, but time and time again, um, proved wrong. Or that sounds yeah. bad, but it, it's, it's just... It's so much more interesting as well to see what God does through mm. these people, like the stories that you get to share and the journeys. Um, I was um, about six years ago spending time with um, a client of mine in hospital. She was eight months pregnant and she was due to be deported. She was a victim of human trafficking. Um, and we, it was a very long story, but we managed anyway to get a doctor's note to say that she wasn't fit to travel and she ended up having permission to stay um, for the birth. And then um, eventually she got leave to remain after like two or three years of supporting her with legal paperwork. Um, and this week I got to meet with her and uh, her, well, it's not a baby anymore because it's a six-year-old child. Mm -hmm. uh, her tummy when I was, you know, with her in the hospital and just to see her bringing bringing people to church because it's I've been friends with her um, online but uh, just to be able to see that and just to recognize that you know that was that was an afternoon of my life to be able to advocate for this lady who didn't know Swedish mm -hmm. uh, and who was due to be deported and working with her legal situation um, and now she's got this lovely lovely child who's able to live safely in this country um, and now she's bringing people to our community um, because she knows it's a safe place. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, uh, you just know that you're part of God's, God's story and the kind of the tapestry of lives being woven together in this beautiful mesh of just relationships that would never have formed if it wasn't for church because where else mm -hmm. are you going to hang out with all these people with these amazing stories you know people mm -hmm. traveling to Russia on a um on a on the back of a lorry to escape the Taliban you know you're just like mm -hmm. my God, I can't believe I know these people mm -hmm. yeah. yeah I mean I think one thing you both mentioned or talked about is like those people that you were able to reach in your work and in your church are now reaching people that you would not be able to reach. You know, I don't mm -hmm. know if you know Mandarin, but that man who I'm assuming from China, I assume is speaking Mandarin to people that you wouldn't be able to the man, you know, speaking uh, to the people in, in Iran back home in his language, you know, and these people that already know him. And so uh, that's something I think that happens is people want to be, they want to be the one that can be all things for all people. Like I want to be, uh, you know, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to, you know, save the whole world. Um, that kind of idea when it's like, no, we're, we are equipped and we are called to, to what we can do. And that's something that's fresh expressions does the, the fresh expressions go to where the traditional church can't go. And then mm. sometimes those fresh expressions can't go where other fresh expressions can go. And so I love that your church is more of these micro churches. It's um, and they all probably reach people that wouldn't be reached any other kind of way that are able to find community in the way that makes the most sense to them. And that connects to them on that level. And it's all done through relationship also. 
um, that woman that you talked about being there, you being a presence in her life is something that probably saved her life. And then also it brought her back to you because of your, that mm -hmm. connection that you had with each other. I think that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the learning journey, because I've been in the anti-trafficking space for about 13 years in total. And I think the, the learning journey of that is, you know, it's, it's amazing to be able to help people, but it's even more amazing to be able to give them space to help others and to be able to mm -hmm. contribute. Like that's when you really know that you have made a difference in somebody's life is that when you are enabling them um, to contribute. And I think we are guilty a lot of the time in the kind of NGO space of wanting to overhelp or over facilitate people's journeys. Um, and I think COVID taught us that when it comes to leadership development, uh, and we were kind of forced to fast track our micro church mm -hmm. process processing, that um, people may not seem ready to us or may, may not seem mature enough, but actually sometimes maybe we've put the bar too high and actually people can start to serve and can start to give from the basis of where they are, from mm. the basis of where they stand and lean into discipleship and leadership at their level. Mm. And it's going to be good enough. It's going to be messy and there's going to be mistakes, but actually God can do so much um, through that. Um, and yeah, I think that really propelled our leadership um, development mm. that we were just forced, like we couldn't meet. So we just like, right, you're up, just go. <laughs> yep. I mean, the funny, the funny thing about COVID was we, so we, we decentralized everything. So we did nothing from the center. We didn't send any like Sunday teaching or anything like that. So we just said, go mm -hmm. and explore what it might look like to be church. And we decided if we would try and, kind of see what would happen in our block of flats um with the relationships and neighbors and uh i mean when we came back after a year our our, our efforts didn't work <laughs> <It just> went, <laughs> but when we came back i mean we're i was on the paid i was the paid uh salvation army officer and it just didn't work uh so no one was showing up and yeah whatever it, it but then when we came back it was like there's all these people i didn't know and they were part of our church I was like, who are you? <laughs> so we're going to go to your church for nine months. I hadn't even met them. So they're all part of these like communities that had, we just said, go. Uh, and we'll we'll meet as leaders. We'll try and equip you, but we're not going to send any kind of live like or, or video teaching or whatever. We just want you to go and explore what church looks like. So there was a, a group that formed around hiking uh, and, and all different like kind, kinds of groups. But when we came back, it was just funny because there was people we had met and then there were people who were like leading people that we, we didn't really know. <laughs> yeah. And I was supposed to be the church leader of this church. So it was a really <laughs> funny kind of experience that taught us a lot. And once you, when you see something like that, it's really hard to unsee it in the words yeah. of someone you all know quite well. You know, it really, really difficult to un unsee that. So, well, I had a lady just a couple of weeks ago welcoming me to church. <laughs> oh, is this your first time? No, I've been been before on a Sunday. <laughs> like, <laughs> she's just like taking on the hospitality. I just absolutely loved it. You've got to love it, haven't you? When I, I, people are taking yeah. ownership and just stepping up. Yeah, I mean, we. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of things changed. I mean, one of the things was that we definitely lowered the bar of like excellence in order to raise participation. So yeah. participation, mm. I guess, became one of the front wheels of everything through COVID. Like you're in, <laughs> it's you. We'll see what happens. And when we when we come back, you know, we you know, there's always a tension there. You want to do things really, really good, but but sometimes you have to sacrifice that excellence or these kind of like expectations that you have or you know, we've all grown up in really good ex expressions of Sunday services or whatever. And we, we really had to kind of like just take a step back from that in order to release the or channel the participatory, participatory power within the, the community of people. Um, mm -hmm. And then, of course, we have our equipping processes as well and apprenticeship kind of culture that we've tried to work really, really hard on. 
But I think just making that decision that we were going to lower the bar of excellence in order to release participation within the community was a game changer. Hmm. It's funny that you used that word, Mark, because I was in a like a denominational meeting not a week or two ago. And one of the values that they were trying to set forth that should be like the organizational value is excellence. And I literally went like almost <laughs> my mouth a little bit like can we, can we, <laughs> Did someone say something. Yeah. Yeah. Can we No, let's not do that. So I was pushing strongly against that. But um, I think you're describing like all these really core movemental dynamics of being a church as a movement. So I'd love for you to talk to us more about um and one of the beautiful things I find, like, you know, it's the Holy Spirit is there's these kind of similar themes through microchurch, through fresh expressions, through, you know, all these movemental forms that are um, less centered, more distributed, uh, less, less, less. There's a place for gathering, but there's a place for scattering and there's releasing of the priesthood of all believers. And there's this similar kind of process that we follow an incarnational mission right listening uh building relationships slowly over time loving and serving the needs that are in the community and then from that you know sharing sharing jesus and uh forming church so you mentioned like your apprenticeship kind of process how you form people for that and just like what are some of the key you find um like movemental um, uh, the, the really key pieces of that for this to work of those movemental dynamics. I think I just jump in Emma, before, mm-hmm. and then you can maybe. <clears throat> so <clears throat> I think one of the things that has been the, the hardest part, and it's maybe not so talked about whenever we're in circles that are talking about movement, movement is you, you, you touched on it, which triggered me the listening part. Um, Cause what, what we often find is that we, do the listening part often quite well in the first phase of pioneering Mm. but then it then it very really difficult to come back to doing it again it's almost like a blow to the ego because you think you've listened you've kind of oh now we know what we're doing we've got this vision uh the community's forming we're on a, a track somewhere one of the most challenging things and what i've seen i mean i'm not leading the local church i'm working nationally is actually going through the cycles of re-listening, relearning. And you talk about context changing so rapidly and um and it and it is. It's it's there's such accelerated change at the moment. And that piece of re-listening, but what I'm finding is a real blow to the ego of, of mm. a church that's got finally got it together. And to have that kind of downward journey of re-listening, I think is really crucial, not just for the prophetic kind of sensibility but also it's it's a painful spiritual journey at times as well uh Mm. to kind of say actually we don't know we're you know we once again we're in a place of so i think like i would just say that prophetic element before we go on to the apostolic maybe stuff is really really crucial in movemental stuff so that it doesn't become just stale strategic movement next steps we can do this but, mm. but but to keep us on track with what God's actually revealing and teaching, not just through the faith community, but outside. Um, so dislocated from that listening journey, I think all the movement conversation runs off on a course that um, we we know where it, where it ends, and we'll always have to come back to repentance. But yeah, so yes. I just I just want to put that in there. Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. yeah really 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 important. Yeah, mm. it can become a strategic playbook rather than a um a well thought through yeah um i think we've leaned heavily into a pest as well as a team and that's on the back of um nearly burning out uh trying to plant a community in manchester on our own um and not knowing then uh, about those dynamics and mm-hmm. uh, myself i would say that um the socialization of women around the shape shepherding gift and the teaching gift in particular weighed really heavily on me as a as an expectation on myself um but also an ex a a kind of silent expectation from a christian community of being then a minister's wife um and so apest has really like the exploration of apest has been really freeing to me because i've been able to understand 
why I don't do shepherding particularly well because it's actually a, a, a gift <laughs> that I'm uh, relatively low in in comparison to some of the other gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, but also in terms of learning in team what the how how we uh, navigate strengths and weaknesses of one another and how we can support one another um, through that um, rather than having static roles based on job descriptions or whatever leaning into uh, the charismatic giftings that God has, has given us and you know even if I'm the director of something if I don't have the answer because actually it's not my gifting to have the answer then I'm able to relinquish the responsibility but also the kind of um being humble enough to say actually I've got no idea this is a shepherding situation you guys I need a shepherd to speak into this because otherwise I'm gonna bodge it up in some way shape or form so can someone come in and and that was a long journey for us Mm. as as team yeah. And it's really helped us as well in the tra- building the building the structure of the team initially, but also in our sec our second challenge was you know how do we transition as we were transitioning out of main leadership last year, how do we transition this team now not out of the team but how do we how do we move ourselves into so move my, myself and Mark out of the central positions and other people into the central positions because actually now their giftings are needed. It's not about, you know, who's a church leader, who's not, but actually we need now after X amount of years of needing a, the apostolic and the prophetic energy to be at the f- uh, forefront of the venture. We now need the evangelist and the shepherd and the teaching gift to be forefront because we've got loads of people to look after and we're just rubbish at remembering to keep tabs on people. So we need other people to step up and make sure that we're not losing people and, you know, keeping the flock moving in in the right direction and what have you. Um, So, yeah, so that's been really key. I think like just to add on something of that, one of the things that I... I was reflecting on this the other day that um, what we learned was not to just equip people for the role or the task or the ministry even, but to to t- try and have a kind of consciousness or a, um, a commitment to people's, the deeper places of who they were, they're calling. So where what were they fascinated in? So don't just equip people for task jobs so they can do the job better but equip people so that they grow as as individuals. And so and that I think we really I maybe where we didn't do well, but I think we certainly began to think more about that. What are we curious about? Uh not just what do we need for this this moment. So whenever we had team leadership, uh we're always like, what is God, who are you? Who are you what what what's your calling? What 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 what's your you know, rather than we need you just to help us get this thing done, we we had a real kind of how do we thrive? Yeah. All of us. So yeah. so always like asking what what's what, what are you fascinated about, what are you interested in? Um and making sure that, that the deeper thing of calling was always central to to not just leadership but to discipleship mm. and how we could serve them rather than just have them do roles or, or fulfill um, tasks, job descriptions. Uh, and it just made a much more fun environment as well uh, when you go to the, those kind of places. I mean, we made a real thing about, I mean, in terms of movement, you need to have like a, a depth and a tightness that you are, we're a we. Um, and that really only comes about when there's this kind of commitment to one another that, I'm here not just to grow my leadership or to grow my kind of next steps in my ministry, but I, I'm here to kind of raise you up um, because Jesus, that's what Jesus was doing. That's what Jesus is, you know, that's, you know, any kind of like understanding of how, you know, seeing how Jesus operated, that was, that was, that was just what he was doing. So what does it look like for us to lay our lives down for, for, for the other in every environment in team, and that's really, really hard. But when you at least speak it out and you invite people into those kind of communities, those kind of teams, you get people that will, well, they want you to win uh, and they want they want you to 
to do more than just can you preach well or can you they mm. want you to feel good uh and it just is a much more it's just much more enjoyable to be part of those kind of teams mm. and they you know then you you feel you experience ministry as friendship in, in a way uh, i mean i grew up where there was that can you be friends on team you know are you allowed to be that you know our experience was actually that's probably it just i can't think of any other way really now no. uh, mm-hmm. we share life together we eat together you know we we're not just bothered about can you show up and do this job it's it's about who you are and who we are together and why god has thrown us together so yeah uh, long long ramble there but i think that's really really important yeah it's mm-hmm. great i think um that's one of the best things about things like the apest or any kind of like personality gift assessment those kinds of things um is just that it helps you to understand the, the people around you and that so that you can understand each other's giftedness and so you know what do they need and what can they do better than than me so that i can go to you and you can come to me and it can create a team of people um that's not going to be too heavy on one side or the other you can find that balance and then you can walk through it together um and i love that idea it's like how being being friends with each other being connected being on that journey in that relationship all the way along the way i think that's so cool and that's something that i think a lot of teams can definitely learn from when it comes to to the church there's kind of a typical pathway that a lot of people follow um that i guess you know it's worked in general ways for a while now but i love you know like i think michael you do that as well really wonderfully at your church you are always bringing on new leaders and always lifting people up so i'm seeing that all the time with what you're doing um but we have we only we don't have too much longer because i want to keep you because i know it's late but one of the last questions we probably could talk about this i feel like for hours but um, yeah. One of the last questions that we ask and we always like to ask is, what does the future of the church look like to you and what is your hope? Um, I would be excited to see the church more diverse uh, in its expression. I think we've got, I've just come back from a trip to Ethiopia and Kenya Mm. Um, walking with with people um, on their journeys there and just being so moved by you know their spirituality talking about the the dryness that we experience here and just being reinvigorated by just spending time with them Um, and I just really hope that there will be um, that the West, if we can talk about the West, it's a very big part of of the globe as well, but that we would be humble enough to listen to some of the stories and the experiences that are coming from the continent of Africa, parts of Asia. I think we need their voices and their stories. So I would hope um, that the peril that we find ourselves in will make us desperate enough to start listening to to them um and the same for like um yeah marginalized communities people whose voices haven't been heard uh i'm definitely of the opinion that it will be particularly black and brown women who will come with some of the solutions and the creative innovation um because I think God wants to empower them in particular in this time. Uh, and also because I think the hardship makes you more prone to uh, innovate and be creative in a way that, you know, privilege prevents you from being. Um, so that's what I'm hoping the church will lean into. Uh, but we'll see. I'm not really sure what the future of the church is going to look like. Um, But what I hope uh, and what I'm seeing maybe the seeds of hope in in some places is that it will be maybe less caught up in taking positional statements or issues on stuff. Um, Less, perhaps a bit less verbal and a little bit more playful and fun incarnated 
finding itself in the nooks and crannies of society, uh, more concerned with the heart of our cities and communities rather than taking issues on um, or getting caught up in arguments about X, Y, Z. I think that it's going to be led by a kind of people that we're perhaps not ready for. I think it's going to be less, it's going to be certainly co-vocational, bivocational. Um, I really, really hope, and this is maybe me, I, I don't know if it will be, but I have a soft spot for it. I hope it will look more creative and like surprising. Um, I mean, I lead a, a, a community in the pub uh, and, and it's, it's just brilliant. I really love it. I think it's going to be even more creative and wacky than those kind of expressions. And that's my soft spot. That's what I would love to see. Uh, I think ultimately it's going to be multi-expression, multi model um i think anyone who's wedded to a certain model they need to kind of loosen up a bit stop taking themselves too seriously uh and um chill out because the future is not there it's it's going to be much more fluid and diverse and our churches won't live as long as they perhaps used to uh but the impact will be exponentially different and and uh, and equally beautiful i think um, and then I, I agree with Emma massively, and I, I want to underline that. I think that the female voice, particularly around the pioneering, the apostolic, and the future of the church is one of the crucial pieces to the jigsaw for whatever's coming next, because we've been massively led by, certainly when you gather to any kind of conference around pioneering church planting, it's 90% white male often. Um, and that is in the future um so i i can't see any other future without us really kind of having the courage to really shift some conversations and change some teams or change some structures uh, and make sure that um we are listening to the unique perspectives of the female apostolic uh because it won't sound the same as the male the male voice um and i think that's really really important for what what's coming next uh and then there's God. So I'm really <laughs> grateful for that uh, because ultimately um, we need a fresh move. Of, <clears throat> of, uh, we always do, don't we? But we, we really need, I mean, all our strategies and stuff like that. It can be really good. There's a lot of clever people in church and movemental conversations, but ultimately what we need is just, um, it's just something really new and, and a beautiful move of God that we all get caught up in. Mm -hmm rather than instigating. Mark, you, you said something really beautiful that I want to just kind of piggyback on about like the structural nature of, um, well, kind of where we started at the beginning of our conversation. Emma, your work, um, I feel like when you talk about justice, when you two talk about justice, uh, think of the biblical concept of mishfat that's not it's not like punishing the heck out of people or, you know, ret uh, retru uh, retribution, but it's it's uh, lifting up the lowly and the oppressed. It's it's toppling the systemic kind of imperial things that force um, the oppression. So for a long time, like women in leadership was a justice issue. Right. And thankfully, women leaders and pioneers challenge that injustice for many, many years to where I feel like at least in most camps, there's a, there's a, there's a new, there's an awakening in that space. Right. But then like with your work with human trafficking, you're not just helping the people uh, that are in front of you, you are doing that, but you're also through your, you know, legal abilities and such kind of thinking systemically about what are the systems that perpetuate that injustice and how is your ministry like intersecting and, and actually changing those systems too? So I really appreciate that. But um, the structural part, I, I think, unfortunately, I'll, I'll say in most of the denominational systems that I'm a part of, they actually benefit in keeping it mostly white dudes in, in the room of decision making and, and perpetuating kind of this clergy caste system and this more like... Mark, you've said it multiple times, uh, focusing on orthodoxy and right, right praise and right words and, and really neglecting orthopraxy and orthocardia and uh, orthopathos, like a right heart before God and a right 
way that we, we live that out in the world. And um, when I look at what you all are doing, I feel like we are kind of seeing the future in a sense from our side of the pond. What you all are doing is, is a, like a light and a, a trail blazing into a new space. So I hope that our listeners can gather that from this conversation and see how, how you're going about all of these things and keeping justice and compassion as kind of the center um, of, of what you're doing there with your church planning and movemental church planning. I This is over. I know we're over time. I just got, um, I've planted a lot of like micro churches, fresh expressions type, type stuff, but still I love this church called the United Methodist Church, which saved me and birthed me and pulled me out of the gutter when I was a drug addicted, you know, orphan child. So there's a, there's a commitment that I have to that. But then I also feel this tension and this angst of like, but it sucks so bad, right? <laughs> there's so many parts of it um, that are just, we're just exiling all these apes and we're, we're losing all these young people and people of color and uh, that could be so integral to our future. And our system is just not, ready for them yet so mm-hmm. sorry that was a little tangent that i just went on and i feel you there i feel I'm with you. <laughs> yeah well yeah. yeah i don't know i mean i, I sense feel the same we're um, in the salvation army so we know exactly how you feel yeah 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 <laughs> i think it's also like i mean this i, I i've been reflecting on this a lot recently about there are multiple narratives about what's actually happening. And sometimes we over lean into one narrative, which we allow to dominate. Mm. Um, And I think that's not to kind of switch off from that. I mean, that's real, but there are also multiple narratives, narratives of death death and resurrection of the Mm. kingdom. Uh, Mm. And they all speak into every given moment. They're always fully present because Christ is always fully given. And I think, um, I think that's also our calling in this moment is to kind of like hold all of those narratives and not to be over stretched or over like pulled into, into that narrative of decline or, mm. or disorientation, which is very real, but to hold it together with, mm. um, which we know I mean, death and resurrection is everywhere for those who have the eyes to see it, but it's central to our, central to our faith and we always have to recognize that that's another very true story of what's happening all the time mm-hmm. right now uh mm-hmm. which gives us a, a sense of presence that that, that that i think the church is called to be unique in that mm-hmm. um yeah yeah so i feel the the tension of the old world and uh you know that's that's going and, and a scary new world that's coming mm-hmm. uh, but god mm-hmm. is good Amen. Yeah. <laughs> well, where can our listeners find what you two are up to online? Ooh, and tell us um tell us about your podcast too. Oh, we like we like to talk about stuff. So we do that regularly on our <laughs> podcast, the Venture 12 podcast. Um we don't have a lot of answers, but we have a lot of opinions and really? try to have <laughs> try to have uh, reasonably uh, experienced opinions on some things but also invite guests who know a lot more about various things than than we do to enable reflection and conversation because it's um well we try and pick topics that impact um at least the things that we're doing and experiencing in europe um but we have a worldwide audience so i think it's relevant for a lot of different contexts. Yeah, we've had Michael on there. Yeah, which was a real treat. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I've I've gone back to listen to that several times and just stealing stuff. So I hope you don't mind <laughs> <laughs> using that in various contexts. But we try to like you know hold all those what we think are the key spaces of mission, faith exploration, uh, and, and justice questions, and in the middle of that, what it means to lead in in all of that. So. Mm. Um, yeah, it's quite quite broad, but we hope, yeah, people Very enjoy cool. it. How do you find us? Uh, well, I'm quite hard to find. I don't have a website or anything like that. You, <laughs> I live at Askagar on 1B. My postcode is. <laughs> so you, can, you, can, you can write to me. Now, you can. Um, Snail mail. Emma, you, you are. 
We're on uh, socials. I'm yeah. on various things. But yeah, go through Venture 12 on Spotify or Apple Play and uh, mm. you'll find our Facebook page through there. And then you can send a direct message if you want to get in touch with us. Cool. Awesome. Cool. Any last thoughts? Any last things you want to talk to our audience? I've got a lot of things to say about Florida. I mean, there's a lot of human trafficking there. <laughs> oh, I would not, I'm not surprised. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it's one of the states with the most human trafficking in the United States. Um, so we could talk about mm. that and changing laws and things like that. But um, other mm. than that, I think on the church side of things, I think use the time that you have before secularization has kind of got hold um, to make sure that you train your leaders, that you get yourself set up for what's coming um, and the changes that are happening. Because there seems to be still time on your side of the water um, and being ready. So the, the sense of readiness and the ability to still give into not just the wider um, United States, but still the possibility to share with others the learning and the experience because there's a lot of lot of key learning that's still happening in the US that other people can benefit from um, so I would say that's key at the same time as being humble enough of course as we all of us Westerners have to be mm. um, receive if from particularly the global south and marginalized um, communities but practically mm -hmm. speaking, equip your leaders. You're going to need them. You need to be ready. Mm -hmm. It's going to be hard work, but it will be fun too. Mm -hmm. well, well, I could add, I mean, this has been a great conversation. If there's anything to it, I mean, interesting today, I, I've discovered that the Arabic word for mercy is connected to this idea of being womb-like. Uh, so mercy is connected to this being womb-like, mother-likeness. And it's also in Hebrew as well. The word is like connected to being womb-like. I was really like captured by that. I just sense that there's something about the future of the church. With whatever is being birthed or incubated or, or whatever, it's going to be gentle. It's going to be perhaps more mother-like, um, giving, and you know, like mothers do, giving it, giving oneself away. Uh, with that that kind of heart, and I think I don't know that stirred that stirred me today. So uh, mm. I'll leave that with you. Good. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you both, Emma and Mark, for joining us for this episode. I appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. And to those listening, thanks for joining in on this episode on of New People, New Ways. If you enjoyed our conversation with Emma and Mark, please share it with a friend. And if you would like to learn more about Fresh Expressions, you can check out freshexpressionsfl.org. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. See you next time on New People, New Ways. <laughs>